this morning. Um, if you would, when you get an opportunity, open your Bibles to Ephesians, the fifth chapter and 31st verse. Uh, we are studying this section of Ephesians uh, right now because we are studying the divine institutions. There are four basic institutions that God has given to man. One is the, the, the element of free will or volition, and with that, the responsibility to make good decisions. The second one is the husband-wife relationship, the marriage relationship. The third one deals with the family, and the fourth one deals with the nation. And if we want a thumbnail sketch of what's going on in the world today, we can see that Satan has aligned his forces to go after these divine institutions. It's exactly what he has done. He has done it. Uh, he's, he's not approached things fairly. He's not given a fair hearing. Now he's in the business of just trying to yell down the truth and trying to overpower and outnumber those of us who still stand up for the fact that God made all things and we wouldn't be here without him. And so this deals with the issue of the second divine institution of the husband and wife relationship. Uh, it's a very important relationship. It's under significant attack today from all directions. And it's not just in our country. It's all over the world. This is going on all over the world because the, the devil is at work. He works through communist ideology. And you see that uh, controlling about a third of the world's population. He works through the Islamic faith, which is just a counterfeit. It's a total uh, lie of what... Christianity is and who God is and that's that's what uh, Islam is but people hate to call that out for what it is and so uh, he is he's just level this attack so what we're doing is trying to get uh, just a review of things that we know to be true they're true because God said it and uh, he recorded it in his word he made some things very clear to us that we better pay attention to so before we begin it's always our custom to take a few moments for silent prayer to get ourselves ready to study the word of god it's uh, uh that where we can put away and put aside the cares and problems and issues of the world because this is our indeed our daily bread. So let's give it the reverence that it is due and prepare ourselves to study it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are blessed and privileged and honored to be a part of your family. Father, what an honor it is and a blessing to be uh, in this nation that is still somewhat free. The Father, we do know we're under attack. It's not even subtle anymore. It's not going through the back door. It's coming right out in front. And so, Father, I pray that you will equip each and every one of us uh, in a better way today to be able to face that which is coming upon this world. So, Father, we will give you the praise. We pray the Holy Spirit will help us to understand, to remember, and to apply wisely that which we find in your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, you guys are going to have to quit drinking because your faces are getting blurred. My uh, surgery out there, I see better this way, and that kind of looks kind of like old people. <laughs> they look over the top of their glasses to see. Uh, I haven't, I'm not far enough out of that uh, surgery 
to get new prescriptions, but I have to have the glasses to read that which is in front of me because it, it turns into a big blur whenever, uh, whenever I don't. But we are in the, the fifth chapter of Ephesians. It is the uh, second passage that we're looking at where God gives us a summary of uh, the marriage relationship. The first one we looked at was Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. The Lord God made the, the woman and brought her to the man, and that is the design. And so <clears throat> we're actually going to get referred back to that in this particular passage in Ephesians. If we were looking at Ephesians, we see that it is uh, from chapter 4 to 6, it's the different battlegrounds that we face, the battlegrounds of finding the, finding the truth, the battlegrounds within the marriage relationship, not supposed to be a battleground between husband and wife, but against the evil one, the devil. And we'll find in chapter 6 the family. We'll find a passage in there on the family. And then we'll find the battleground against the world uh, that's going to be going on. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood, which is so hard to keep in mind anytime we turn on the, the television set. So we find that Paul is writing, uh, writing a beautiful picture and telling us that the, the marriage relationship is designed to model the relationship between Christ and the church, his bride. The marriage relationship has a very specific purpose. It is supposed to be a model. And so we find in verse 30, it says, because we are members of his body, in verse 31, and it says that your English, I'm reading from New American Standard and correcting it. This LT is a literal translation trying to get a little more clarity out of the, the Greek language. It says for this cause, and it really uses the word auntie, which means to put something against something else, used 22 times. It's not necessarily in opposition, but it's as a counterpart, and it's followed by the word tutos. So it says next to this, or for this cause, or as a counterpart, a man. <clears throat> now, what is there hard to understand about the word anthropology? Not a whole lot. This is the word anthropos. It looks at the man. It says a man looking at the male gender. A man shall leave. And this is a future tense, future active indicative of the word katalipo, and lipo means to leave, and kata means according to a standard. So it says, shall leave, and he's going to leave to establish a new household. That's the context of this. His father and mother. This should sound familiar, because if you started reading your Bible in Genesis, and you got to chapter 2, you read this. And when you went to chapter 5, and Adam begat Seth, and Seth begat Enosh, you fell asleep, or jumped to some other book to... Uh, find something other than a genealogy, but he says, shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Now, these are future tenses instead of imperatives. It's interesting the way this is worded because uh, uh, pure imperatives is normally the way commands are expressed in the New Testament and future tenses are frequently reserved for prophecy. But these are future tenses that are used as commands just like the Mosaic Law. When Moses gave something, he gave an imperfect tense. Or we would know it as a future tense only in the Hebrew. And that's the way you shall not have any other gods besides me is that thou shall not. Well, these are 
thou shalt not, that he is quoting from, uh, he's quoting from uh, Genesis chapter 2. The word cleave here, I, I don't frequently use the word cleave. It's not something high on my list. Uh, it's the word proskalaomai. There's a beautiful word when you tear it apart and see what it really means. Because kaleomai, or kalaomai, is a word that means to stick to like glue. Beautiful word. Stick to like glue, okay? And the pros, when you put that on the front of a word, it's talking about before the face of. So it says literally, a man is to stick like glue to the face of his wife. That's what it says. So, shall cleave or glued to the face of his wife. That's a literal translation of it. And the two shall become another future tense. They shall be one flesh. So there are three commands, literally, that are given in this verse. And these are strong. These are strong commands, just as strong as the thou shalt nots of Exodus 20. First of all, leave father and mother. Second of all, cleave to his wife, stick like glue to his wife. And third of all, be one flesh, become, become one. Now, all three are the responsibility of the husband to accomplish. That's their, who's he talking to? He's giving instructions here to the man. What did he do in verse 22 to 24? Gave instructions to the wife, the woman in the relationship. And then in verse 25, he moved over and started talking to, to us guys. He said, I want to get real clear about this, no misunderstandings. A husband and wife are to establish a new household. But it does not mean they're to dishonor their parents. But the man is to initiate and make this new relationship a priority in his life. This new relationship. Under the Mosaic Law, when a, when a man got uh, married, he was, uh, he was not permitted to serve in the military for a year. The result was that the, he and the wife would get to, to know each other, get uh, closer together. That's what would happen. There was universal military training for everybody in Israel under the law from the, at the age of 20. But that was set aside if a man got married. It was set aside for one year so that they could get to know each other. But they're not to dishonor their parents. Remember the Ten Commandments? You shall honor your father and mother that your days may be long on this earth. It doesn't mean you set aside one commandment to keep the other. Something a lot of people in our society don't seem to get. You don't throw away, <laughs> you need, there's oftentimes two or three different things that you need to apply at the same time and you don't throw away one to accomplish another. So to be glued to the face of his wife indicates fidelity. Glued to the face of his wife means that you're not gazing deeply into the eyes of another woman. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Don't let the eyes wander. Now, we have to be able to see people. Okay? It helps if I can, I can see you now. <clears throat> but we have to be able to see people. <clears throat> if you're walking through Walmart, you don't want to walk through in such a way that you bump into everybody. And so you, you keep your eyes open. Men will see women. It's just a part of life. But they're not to stop and take a real close look at them. That's what this is talking about. Don't let your thoughts wander. Don't let your mind wander from fidelity to your wife, glued to the face of his wife. A sensitivity also, a real sensitivity between a husband and a wife. Now, a lot of cultures, that's not, 
not even considered or done. We've been in places in, in uh, India where women were literally treated like servants and slaves. And so we have taught them and tried to teach them that if you want to change your country, you need to start in the home. And she does not need to be your servant. She's not a piece of property. What she is, is to be your queen. She is to be respected. She is to be loved. She is to be taken care of. She is not a household servant. That's not what she is. So it's an interesting thing. We, I told a group of pastors one time in India, I said, you want to change your country? <laughs> Go home and tell your wife you love them. They looked at me, they shook their head, said, we don't do that in India. Can you believe that? We don't do that in India. You need to start. Well, no. Why would we do that? I said, you need to start. You're commanded to. Open your Bibles that you're real good at quoting. Open your Bibles to this passage. And what does it say? You're supposed to love them. Now, doesn't that include telling them that from time to time? I said, try that. We got some reports back later on. It was kind of funny. What happened? Well, they thought I'd been drinking <laughs> instead of at a pastor's conference. I had a lot of trouble explaining it. I said, okay, change your attitude. Change your country. That's what you do. Now, husbands and wives have lost a lot of respect for each other in a lot of ways. And how do we, how, what's a big part of fixing this? Following following these uh, commands, actually, in relationship. Husband and wife, man and woman, are to have the closest relationship on earth. That's the way it is designed. They are to seek to become spiritually one. Now, if you apply Ephesians 4, which contextually is the lead-up to this, verses 4, it says there's one body, one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So if we want to become one or be one, it involves connecting ourselves to the, to the Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and being one with them. Sexual intercourse portrays this, and oftentimes the interpretations get highly limited uh, there that we know that it goes back to Genesis 2, and you two shall become one flesh, and the two became one flesh, because the first command given to man was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's recorded in Genesis 1, and in order to do that, required sex to occur. That's the way that it, it required but the main communion is to be a spiritual communion. That's what the main communion is to be, to be one. So, <clears throat> a man's priority, first priority, is to be his wife. A man's first priority is to be his wife. Now, this is, of course, with the Lord God Almighty at the very top. But when it comes to living in this world, a man's first priority is to be his wife. Wife. Now, I have a question since the analogy here is between Messiah and his bride, Christ in the church. Does he put us first? I think so. Everything I read says that. 
He puts us first, and that's the way this relationship is designed to be. Now, verse 32 tells us it's very important. This is important. <clears throat> it says, this mystery, musterion is the word used here. It's a word that means known only to the initiates. Uh, some, it's, for some, it's a mystery. For others, they know it. The, the mystery is great, he says. I mean with mega, the present tense, it expresses a magnitude <coughs> rather than an intensity. The far-reaching uh, results of this and ramifications of it. It is very important. He says, but I, he puts ego in there, so I try and put the myself in there, I myself. Paul's making this statement under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So he's saying that the husband and wife relationship is supposed to model the relationship between Christ and the church. So the relationship now made clear between Christ and the church was not all, all clearly understood by generations prior to the first advent. See, this is new. The Lord came preaching the kingdom. What? He was telling the Jews, you accept your Messiah, the kingdom. But they wanted a kingdom that threw the Romans out and they had autonomy over their nation once again. That was the kingdom they were looking for. But first there had to be a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer that had to come and pay the real sacrifice, offer the real sacrifice for sins so that they may be set free spiritually. Because an interesting thing about slavery, when the Jews went into slavery there for a period of 400 years or oppression for 400 years, when, when that happens, people are already slaves in their soul. See, so to break that thing, you have to get to the Lord. And be free. Paul was free even in a prison. He said, you know, they're going to talk to me about cutting off my head, putting me to death. I don't care. He was free from any type of intimidation like that. Now, 1 Peter 1.12, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, they made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them the Spirit of Messiah within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. What, what did Peter just tell us? The prophets of old had a, had a different idea between Isaiah 53, which is the suffering servant who would die and be buried in the tomb of a rich man, and Isaiah 63, the conquering Messiah. They said, we just don't understand that. That were the prophets of old. There's a hole in there. There's a gap in there. And what, what, are, what is the gap? It's us. It's the church. And Paul is making that very clear. He says, it was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you. Who's you? That's us. <laughs> Here are too many first persons. In these things which has now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Now for, for those of us who think there's an angelic conflict going on and it very clearly is. These are those little taglines that get put into the scriptures along the way that don't offer big long explanations but just give us a little bit of the background noise 
that is going on, the elevator music, some of the things that are happening behind the scenes that, that don't come right out in the open. And he says, part of the first advent. So the church we know as a parenthesis in what we call dispensations, which is a big fancy word to just say different eras of history. And the different areas of history are broken up, I believe, by the changes in the priesthood. And when did the priesthood change the last time on the day of Pentecost? When it stopped being a Mosaic law priesthood, Levitical priesthood, and went to being a royal priesthood with you and I. And he said the angels couldn't figure this out. The Father had the plan. The Son executed the plan. The Holy Spirit is revealing the plan. And he says, here you are, just a parenthesis. Because the age of Israel is not yet done, which we'll study second session as we look into the Olivet Discourse. There's seven years yet to be fulfilled in that. Now, man has always been called to seek this type of relationship with the Lord. See, the first relationship we need is a relationship with the Lord. Because as a husband and wife get closer to the Lord, they will get closer together. That's the way it works. And it says, Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6. I love this passage. The Jews call it the Shema. It's a command. Listen up, is what he's saying. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. Yahweh is our Elohim. The Lord is one. Yahweh Akkad. And you shall love the Lord. See the future tense? With a command, you shall love the Lord. Your God, Yahweh your Elohim, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I'm commanding you today, you, they shall be on your heart. This is the relationship that we all should have with the Lord God. So the husband and wife, are. this is supposed to flow over into their relationship with one another. The depth of the husband's personal relationship with the Lord can lead to a greater depth of relationship with his wife. That's what it, now, see, there's, there's all kinds of things that can fall aside in this thing. Because the, the husband can go goofy for a period of time. Wife can go goofy for a period of time. Both can go goofy for a period of time. Can be long extended periods of time. But the personal relationship with the Lord is the primary thing that both have to pursue. And if they pursue it together, it will help. It doesn't guarantee anything though. We're going to see a couple of verses coming up in the Olivet Discourse in the second session that sounds like if you follow all the instructions just right... Not a hair of your head shall be harmed. Doesn't that sound like fun? See, I don't, not a lot to harm up there. But the, it sounds really highly literal, doesn't it? And it is to a degree, but not in context. He just said, some of you are going to die. <laughs> How do you put that in context? When not a hair of your head will be harmed. Hmm. That's part of where Solomon talked about wisdom. Figuring out how both those things can be true is where wisdom gets squeezed out of that. The relationships should complement each other. They should go back and forth. The passage in Genesis, written in Ephesians, enunciates a more profound truth. 
than was realized before Christ came to win his bride by giving himself up for her. See that? Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her. So the principle, marriage has a special purpose in the eyes of God which is to portray the relationship between Messiah and his bride. It's also to propagate the human race, no question about it. Again, Genesis 1.28, first command that we find in Scripture, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But the primary reason the man and a woman come together is in order to, to try and be a model of Jesus Christ. It's, it's interesting, what about his bride? Oh, isn't that, I, I, you think about that, you start thinking about just the term bride. What is the bride of Christ? How is it made up? You know, it's amazing the racial tension that goes on all over the world right now. What's his bride made of? People from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. Every one of them. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they become part of the bride of Christ. I've said before, I'm sure glad that the Lord is not prejudiced. Because if he was, only Jews would be saved. And the rest of us, poor Gentiles, would be left out. If he was, but he's not. He's no respecter of persons, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We're all one in front of the Lord Jesus, equal before the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the way we, have, we need to look at things. And, and people so many times try to twist all that around, and we need to keep going back to the truth. Keep going back to the truth. Does it say God so loved the world? I'm like I read that somewhere. What is included in the world? People from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. It's not hard. Satan's the one that wants to breathe the confusion to try and tear it apart. Verse 33 is nevertheless. Nevertheless, this is the final words to both the man and the woman. It's uh, if we were counting through Ephesians, there's 40 commands found there. This is the 29th of the, of the batch. He says, nevertheless, let each individ individual among you also love... And this is the present tense of agapao. Here is an imperative. doesn't say you shall. This is the imperative. Present tense basically says keep on doing it. He's addressing the men here. Active voice says you need to be the leaders in this. This is the way that God designed the marriage to be. Men need to be the leaders. You shall love his own wife. Now, <laughs> this is the reflexive pronoun here. Meaning, not someone else's in the same way. Okay? Shall love, you shall also love his own wife. Agapao, the active voice, says it's a volitional choice. It's not something imposed upon the, the man. It's not a feeling. Love is more than a, than a feeling. Uh, primarily, it's an action of one type or another. Uh, <clears throat> it's interesting that when, uh, when, we, when we first start dating, uh, oftentimes there's a lot of choices made to display love and the feelings that were there. But if we stop making the right choices, then 
feelings sometimes disappear. Love his own wife as himself. Now people say, I didn't think I'm supposed to love myself. Why don't you just beat yourself up all the time? It, the, the royal law in James 2.8 says you shall love your neighbors yourself. If you don't like you, you're not going to like anybody else. And if you don't like you, few people will like you either. <laughs> because all you care about is you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now there's the other side of that, the narcissism. It says, oh you good looking thing, you don't you ever die. But there's, there's this Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, he tells us in the scripture. He, when he gives us commands like this, he doesn't give them in a vacuum. You just look around and he tells you. And let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Now, I've, I've heard this phrase. This is uh, uh, the word phabeo. Interesting word. He doesn't say... Agapao, like it did husband love your wife. It says wife, respect your husband. This is the word phabeo, normally translated fear. Now some people took that literally and tried to instill fear, terror type of fear into the wife. But it is also the word, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's Proverbs 1, same type of principle taught in, in that. It's a matter of respect due to position. Due to position. So, <clears throat> now, does that mean that the husband should be respected if he hasn't earned it? To a degree. But should he just be a jerk to test her? I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's what it is. Let the wife make the husband... Glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. And I stole that from Martin Luther. But it's a pretty good statement. Let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. Now one of the husband's greatest needs is significance, which is received in part by his wife showing respect for him. Uh, there's a Tremendous study on, on love and marriage by Egerix. It's, uh, it's called Love and Respect is what it is. And he said, never anywhere is a woman commanded to love her husband. Well, I disagree with that point. I disagree with that point because the command to love one another covers it. So the woman is also to love her husband as a part of it. But Paul makes a distinction here because... Men, what, what did the man lose back in the garden? He was the ruler of the world, wasn't he? When he fell and got kicked out, he's no longer the ruler of the world. I really don't like these. When he's no longer the ruler of the world. So what did he lose? He wasn't a big dog in the garden anymore. Right? He's been trying to get that back ever since. He passed it on to all of us, including women. But he passed it on to all of what, us because he lost that significance. Now the problem is we develop goals to try and get these things back. And that's why men like to be show-offs. You know, I, I was a show-off. You can ask Helen about that all the way from when we, when we knew each other in the fifth grade. She thought I was a show-off. I was. <laughs> that's that's what, what we did as kids.
is try and gain attention so we'd be significant and we wouldn't be the ones standing outside of the group and all. I mean, how many different goals do we go through to try and get those things back? Because Adam lost it. It's part of the sin nature. But you know what? The Lord gave it to you when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Guys, we don't need to get that back. But there's still a yearning in there. There's still a yearning to have some respect and a position. So if a man is constantly cut down and chopped up and chewed up and all that, it's kind of hard to love back, even though they should. Why? Because we're called to do these things whether or not somebody responds the way we want it, want it to be. That's what we're called to do. Now, here is the significance. One of the woman's greatest needs is security. That's taught by creation itself. Where did he take her? From the rib of Adam. What is that? That's the place you protect. Isn't it? He took her there. Adam's job was to guard her in the garden. His job was to guard the whole garden. But wouldn't you think that, that would include his wife as well? And he failed to do that. She lost her security. And as a result, it's real difficult for a woman to trust a man anymore. And you say, well, no, it shouldn't be that way. Well, it is. It is difficult. So men usually go for significance, and women usually tend towards security. And oftentimes, I've done a lot of weddings, and you do weddings, and you go, you, you kind of wonder what they're thinking when they're standing up there. And oftentimes, I think the men are thinking, boy, she's so good looking. She's such a beautiful bride. She's going to take care of me like I just cannot imagine. And she's going there. He's such, he's so smart. He's got a degree. He's got, I'm going to be secure. Being married to him. And that lasts till the honeymoon's over. <laughs> or less. Because we find out we're both flawed. And we cannot, I cannot fulfill all those needs. And she cannot fulfill all my needs or wants is a better way to, to say that. But see, all these things, where is our security found? In the Lord himself, right? And what does Satan do? He's really good at getting us to chase our tails. Now, we have a dog that thinks that's the most fun thing on the planet. She weighs 95 pounds or so, and she chases her tail, and she catches it. Then she doesn't know what to do with it. But Satan wants us just like that, involved in futile actions, trying to, to get something that God has already given us. Why is the world falling apart? People don't know the Lord, for one thing. And then when they do know him, when 90% of the people in the churches today think the Bible's not the inspired word of God, there's a problem. 90% of them don't know what they believe. This according to Barna. 90% of them don't know what they believe. And if those who do know what they believe, 90% of those don't know why they believe it. They were just taught that. And if you keep going down the list of, of information, you find out most of them don't know what's important. 
They know what they believe, like what holy days we're supposed to observe and all that sort of stuff. They don't know why they're supposed to do that. And then you get down to the end and they can't share their faith. Most Christians cannot share their faith with an unbeliever. They don't know how. They don't know what verses to go to. Why are we falling apart? We're falling apart because the body of Christ has not been doing its job. And I think that you can safely say. The wife should love her husband by submitting to him. Okay, And the husband should love his wife and earn her respect. That's what should be done. True character is seen when one party lives God's will while their spouse does not. Now, should this be a lifestyle? No. But is there... Helen can tell you for a price that I've not always been <laughs> worthy of respect. Okay. <laughs> Why? It wasn't because I didn't want to. It's just sometimes I open my mouth and get my foot in it. That's just, that's the way it works. But what it says is, love is patient. If there's nothing to test your patience, how do you know that the Holy Spirit's at work in your life? That's what love is. True character is seen. Our sin nature tends to see only our good works and rationalize our failures, which seeks others while seeing others failures and minimizing their good what they have done i think of the disciples what did the disciples do those guys walking down the road with jesus and they're walking and they're arguing over who's the greatest and what are they doing they're doing what fallen people do they're saying, well, Peter, he just really said something stupid last time. So, uh, obviously, I'm the one that should be the leader. And so, they're arguing over who is the greatest. And Jesus said, uh, I want the servant. That's who I'm looking for. I'm not looking for one who's going to promote themselves and seek significance. Okay, I'm looking for the humble servant because that's what he was. Both the husband and the wife are to love and submit to one another. See, remember 521, whole context in this thing. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. So it's not just the wife to submit, it's the husband to submit to the wife. And it's not just the husband to love his wife, it's the wife to love her husband. Both, both sexes have the responsibility to love and submit to one another. The opposite of love is hate. The opposite of submit is resist. And in our vending machine society, we want to push the right buttons and get an honest, instant, total response from our spouse. If we're going to fix things, well, we're going to give it a week or two. And sometimes they just don't work out. I mean, Mosaic Law recognized that. We, that's, that's something that the Lord recognized. Sometimes relationships just don't work out. But if we think we can push the right buttons and bring about a designated response, do, do we think that we can uh, uh, push the right buttons with God and bring about a specific response? Some churches teach that. Name and claim, if I just believe it enough, God will make it happen. Not if it's not His will. Mature Christians choose God's way as a lifestyle is doing the right thing even if it's not returned. So there are, generally speaking, four different types of marriages. Love and submit. 
That's the one that's talked about here. Hate and submit. That's where the man doesn't love his wife and treats her with disregard. But she still submits. That's not the ideal marriage. Love and resist. Where he loves the woman, she resists. And then how about hate and resist? Boy, that doesn't work well at all. Now, what are the parameters of love? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. We know this, this verse. See, I, I think a lot of pastors, when they do weddings, this verse gets read. I've, um, I've taught it. I've, I don't have any weddings I've done over 40-something years. It's quite a few of them. And it's, it's in all the services that uh, I do. Because basically that's what's happening. The husband and wife are promising to try and live a life of love. Love is patient, it says. It is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own interest. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, i.e. the right things, hopes all things. That means love keeps looking for the best, right? It endures all things. Love never fails. So, <clears throat> see, there can't be a meaning in the minds if the minds don't meet. They've got to get together. And sometimes it's good to talk it out or try to talk it out. And sometimes it won't work. But both the husband and the wife have clear-cut responsibilities before God. Both the husband and the wife have clear-cut responsibilities before God. It's pretty well lined out, isn't it? And what is the command all about? Love and respect are God's will. That's God's will. I've, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I just want to do God's will. And what they're looking for is an out. Frequently, not all the time. They did, they're frequently saying, how can I get around God's will? Because they know his revealed will, and they go, how can I get around it? Well, we want to do God's will. Do we not? And that means that we try to live a life honoring to him as part, as part of the bride. That's who we are as believers, part of the bride of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your mercy, your grace, your love. Thank you for the divine institutions. Thank you for volition that we are able to make decisions and make them freely. Father, we know there are influences on the outside, but you place the responsibility square on our shoulders. And Father, we pray for the marriage institution. Father, it is such un, under such uh, total assault in the world today. Father, we just pray that, that uh, those, especially Christians, will be able to, to see their roles, will go back to your word, reread it again, and decide that that's the best way to live, to be a, to be a picture, a model of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the family. Now we have people saying that they need to dissolve the family and let there be no more families, let there be no more 
use of the word mother or father and and uh, male and female father it's it's a mess and uh, i know it's not escaped your notice the father i pray we would have the courage to be able to stand up and say what needs to be said give us wisdom lord and give us boldness for we ask it in jesus name amen and during the break uh, i want to introduce travis and sophie dunlap um, we need to turn this part